Start with questions to Prime Minister Dame Angela Riedel. Yeah. Question number one. Prime Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, this week is Carers Week and I'm sure the whole House will want to join me in thanking the millions of carers across the UK for all they do to support their loved ones. We've seen the vital role carers have played in our communities during the pandemic and we all owe them a debt of gratitude. Through our reforms on adult social care, this Government is committed to continuing to support carers. And Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Dame Angela Riedel. Thank, thank you very much, Mr Speaker. May I associate myself with the Prime Minister's remarks about the importance of carers in our country? Uh, this week's events, uh, Mr Speaker, have demonstrated just how loathed this Prime Minister is. And that's only in his own party. <laughs> so, as his administration is too distracted by its internal divisions to deal with the challenges we face, can the Prime Minister explain if 148 of his own backbenchers don't trust him? Why on earth should the country? Yeah. Prime Minister. Uh, well, I, I, thank, I thank the Right Honourable Lady very much for her question, and I can assure her that uh, in a long uh, political career so far, I have, of course, picked up, so, uh, barely begun, I have, of course, picked up political opponents all over the place. And that is because. And that is because. It's, and that is because uh, this government has done some very big and very remarkable things uh, which they did not necessarily approve of. And I, what I want her to know is that absolutely nothing and no one, uh, least of all her, is going to stop us with getting on uh, for delivering uh, for the British people. Andrew Mitch. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The whole House will unite behind the Prime Minister on his determination to hold Ukrainian war criminals to account. But is he aware that there are five alleged Rwandan war crimes perpetrators living freely in the UK who have been doing so now for 16 years and have neither been extradited nor put before the British courts under our existing laws? As he prepares to go down to the Commonwealth Heads of Government meeting in Rwanda, will he look carefully at this issue, because it is bound to be raised with him, and will he reassure the House and the Rwandan Government he takes these matters extremely seriously, and what has so far been justice massively delayed for 16 years will not be grotesquely denied? Prime Minister. I thank my right honourable friend for his question, and he uh, he raises an issue uh, on which uh, the UK has campaigned for a long time, and no, one, no country is more committed uh, than we are to bringing war criminals to justice. I know that my right honourable friend, the Deputy Prime Minister, uh, has raised the subject recently uh, with the International Criminal Court. Uh, uh, however, as he knows, and I will certainly, of course, uh, study the case and, uh, and take it up as, as appropriately, it is the subject of an ongoing uh, investigation. Uh, it would not be appropriate uh, for me to comment on it further. We now come to the Leader of the Opposition, Keir thank, thank you, Mr Speaker. I, I, I couldn't make out whether that introductory noise was cheers or booze. 
Sean. The trouble is, I don't know whether it's directed at me or him. <laughs> I joined the Prime Minister in his comments about carers. Why did his culture secretary, I think, hiding along the bench, say that successive successive su successive Conservative governments left our health service wanting and inadequate exactly. when the pandemic hit. Yeah. Yeah. Mr. Uh, Mr. Speaker, everybody knows that when the pandemic hit, uh, it was an entirely novel. It was an entirely novel virus for which the whole world uh, was unprepared. Uh, nobody knew. Nobody at that stage. Nobody knew how to uh, test for it. Uh, nobody knew what the right uh, quarantine rules should be, Mr. Speaker. But as it happened, uh, the UK government and our amazing NHS, uh, our amazing NHS, produced not only approved, not only approved the first vaccine anywhere in the world. We were the first to get it into anybody's arms, Mr. Speaker, and we had the fastest rollout anywhere in Europe. None of which would have been possible if we'd listened to him. I think the Prime Minister just agreed with the Culture Secretary. Perhaps she said it. They didn't deny it. Perhaps, perhaps she said it because it's true. It starts with GPs. People were unhappy with the service they were getting before the pandemic. Not enough GPs. Too hard to get an appointment. That's why he promised 6,000 new GPs. But his health secretary admits he won't keep that promise. Despite the hard work of doctors, people can't see a GP in person. They're unhappier than ever with GP services. If GP provision was wanting an inadequate before the pandemic, what is it now? Yeah. Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, I'm afraid he's simply wrong, because uh, what this, uh, uh, he's wrong about what we're doing. Uh, and of course, Mr. We've, got to, we've got to clear the COVID backlogs, and everybody understands that. Everybody understands, uh, everybody understands the pressure uh, that the NHS is under. But they are responding magnificently, and I can tell him uh, that uh, thanks to the investments that this government has put in, uh, we now have 4,300 more doctors. Uh, we have record numbers. We have record numbers in uh, in training. Uh, and I, to the best of my we have 11,800 more nurses this year than last year, Mr. Speaker, and 72,000 72, in training. And that is because of the investment uh, that we put in, uh, which was opposed by the party opposite. And the only reason we were able to make that investment, Mr. Speaker, is because we have a strong and robust economy. Thanks, thanks to the decisions we took. Mr Speaker, he, of course he talks big, but I've got a letter here to the Prime Minister from the Honourable Member from Hereford and South Herefordshire. He said, this is you Prime Minister, under you the government seems to lack a sense of mission. It has a large majority but no long-term plan. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister's Big Plan Act is so tired that even once loyal MPs don't believe him. Yeah. And it's not just waiting for a GP, yeah. it's waiting for all NHS treatment. Yeah. Take cancer. For over a decade, 
Waiting times for cancer care have been going up. His solution was supposed to be diagnostic hubs. The Health Secretary has been on a victory lap this week. But here's the rub, Prime Minister. Since they were opened last year, 135,000 extra people are now waiting for scans and tests. Can he think of a better way to describe soaring cancer waiting lists than wanting an inadequate? Mr Speaker, it is, in, it is entirely right after the pandemic that people are now coming forward to get their, their cancer tests, and, and, and we, have, we have actively encouraged that, and that is, the, that is the right thing for people to do. But as a result of the community diagnostic hubs uh, that we are bringing in, a hundred of them across the country, uh, Mr Speaker, we are able to cut the times uh, for cancer diagnosis, help people to get their scans, uh, their tests, faster and, and above all we can do that Mr Speaker because we're hiring more radiographers, we're hiring more nurses, we're hiring more professionals in our NHS because of the investments that we made, which as I say the party of Bevan tragically opposed. Yes, Mr Speaker the problem is the cancer weights have been going up for 10 years, and they're even higher now. So blaming the pandemic just won't wash. Perhaps the Culture Secretary was talking about the state of NHS buildings. Before the pandemic, the NAO said they were a risk to patients. The government's response, paint jobs and fix-ups, pretending that's the same as building new hospitals. The Treasurer and the Cabinet Office apparently don't think that the refurbs are even going to be delivered. Take University Hospital North Tees. The ceiling is falling in, the roof leaks, and staff have to hose down the pipes to stop them freezing over. Failure to fix wanting and inadequate NHS buildings is putting patients at risk, isn't it, Prime Minister? Mr Speaker, this, this line of uh, criticism is satirical, coming from a, from a Labour a Labour government a, a, a Labour, he's a, 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 attacking, our, attacking our hospital building program, Mr. Speaker. Where they, they were the authors of they were the authors of the PFI scheme that bankrupted so many hospitals. They were. Uh, they, uh, they uh, Mr. Speaker, we, what we're doing instead is building 48 new hospitals. Yes, we are. Uh, thanks to the thanks to the colossal the biggest capital investment programme in the history of the NHS. Uh, and, and we, we put, uh, from memory, we put £33 billion as soon as we came in, then another £92 uh, to cope with the pandemic, plus another £39 billion in the health and care levy. They opposed, they opposed that funding. They opposed the health and care levy. They don't have a leg to stand on. We're building the foundations of our NHS's, our, our health services' future, and they should support it. Can I just say to both of you, you need to calm down, and there's two over here as well. The four of you could have a very nice cup of tea if you wish. Kiss Armour. Oh dear. Prime Minister. Dear, dear, dear. Prime Minister. Well, pretending. Mr. Speaker. Pre pre Pretending no rules were broken, Prime Minister, he chunters on. Pretending no rules were broken didn't work. 
pretending the economy is booming didn't work. And pretending to build 40 new hospitals won't work either. They want him to change, but he can't. As always with this Prime Minister, when he's falling short, he just changes the rules and lowers the bar. In March, he proposed changing the NHS contract. He wants to double the length of time patients can be made to wait for surgery, from one year to two years. On top of that, he scrapped zero tolerance of 12-hour waits at A&E. 24 hours at A&E used to be a TV programme. Now it's his policy. Well, it's Health Week. And he, he's telling all of them. Order. <laughs> Mr. Cleverleck, we've got a tea party gathering. I'm sure you don't want to be part of it. I will hear the question. The problem is, so do our constituents. I wonder if I were you, and I think one or two of you might be going early. What I would say is, look, I need to hear the question in the same way I expect to hear the answer. So please, Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, I, I bet they wish they were this organised on Monday. Uh, well, Mr Speaker, it's Health Week, and he's telling them he's going to turn over a new leaf. So why doesn't he start by scrapping his plans to greenlight wanting and inadequate NHS standards? Yeah. Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, uh, look, he's, uh, I've got to tell him, I, I just think this, this line of attack is not working, uh, Mr Speaker. But it's not, it's not working, it's not working because... It's not working because they refuse to approve. Once again, I think the two of you need to calm down. So please, we don't, hang on, we don't want to see an empty front bench, Prime Minister. Look, uh, we've not only raised the standards uh, in the NHS, uh, we're not only reducing uh, waiting times for those uh, who have had to wait the longest, Mr Speaker, but what we're doing more fundamentally is doing what the people of this country can see is simple common sense, and that is using our economic strength to invest in doctors and nurses and get people on the ward, get people, uh, give, give, giving people their scans and their screens and their tests in a more timely manner and getting uh, and taking our NHS forward. We are on target, Mr Speaker, to, under, thanks to this Government, to recruit 50,000 more nurses. Thanks to, thanks to the investments, I'm just going to repeat this because he doesn't seem to have heard it so far, thanks to the investments that that party opposed. Perhaps he can now explain why they opposed them. Mr Speaker, raising taxes because you failed to grow the economy isn't a plan for the NHS, and everyone sitting behind him knows it. Members of this Cabinet admit that Conservatives left our health system wanting and inadequate when the pandemic hit. He's been in power for three years, and things are getting worse, not better. Fewer GPs, more waits for cancer tests, buildings still crumbling, and he's changing the rules to cover up his failure. And there is a real human pain as a result. Today I spoke to Hamza Semakula. Hamza is 20 and he plays semi-professional football for Hendon. He tore his ACL earlier this year. Because of the two-year wait for surgery, he had to crowdfund for a private operation. I also spoke to Akshay Patel. Last year, his mother woke up 
unable to breathe. Akshay called 999 six times. In his last call, he said, I rang an hour ago for an ambulance as she had difficulty breathing, and now she's dead. Even he must admit that Akshay, Bina and Hamza deserve better than a wanting and inadequate government, utterly unable to improve our NHS. Uh, Mr Speaker, I think everybody in the House has uh, sympathy with uh, Akshay and uh, the other constituents and, the, and their families and the, the other constituents uh, that, he, that he mentions, Mr Speaker, and, uh, and, and I, 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 I share uh, their, their feelings. But uh, when you look at what this government is doing, uh, the massive, and, I, and I, I must say this to him, uh, we are making colossal investments in our NHS. Uh, we are cutting waiting times, uh, we're raising standards, we're paying nurses more, we're supporting our fantastic NHS. And by the way, he continually came to this, I don't just remind him of this, and said that we had the worst COVID record in Europe. Turned out to be completely untrue. He still hasn't retracted it. Uh, we're doing it, Mr Speaker, where we can make those investments because of the strength of the UK economy, because of the fiscal firepower that we have to deploy. We have the lowest unemployment now since 1974, and we are going to continue to grow our economy for the long term. He asked about, he asked about the mission of this government, Mr Speaker. It is to unite and level up across our whole country, to unleash the potential of our entire country, the biggest tutoring programme in history for young people, raising literacy and numeracy standards for 11-year-olds from 65% adequacy to 90%. That is the highest objective I think a government could achieve. Expanding home ownership for millions of people, as my right honourable friend for Duluth and I will do, for millions of people who currently don't have it, cutting the costs of... No, cutting the costs of business to make this the enterprise centre of Europe. That is our vision, creating high-wage, high-skilled jobs for this country. And as for jobs, I'm going to get on with mine, and I hope he gets on with his. But I didn't know you were so popular. Come on! We love all of them. Changing the, the subject completely, in North East Hertfordshire, we're very concerned about sewage overflows into our <laughs> precious short street. And uh, this is damaging to the flora and fauna and also restricts the use of these precious streams for leisure. The, the Environment Bill included some important measures last year, and I, I welcome the fact that the government has consulted on its reduction plan for storm overflows, but when, when would we expect to see some meaningful improvements and some real reductions in the amount of sewage going into our rivers? Yeah, well, I, I thank you very much, and I, I share his concern. I can tell him our sewage plan is the biggest investment on this by any, uh, by any government. We made it clear that uh, the water companies uh, must uh, do more, Mr Speaker, and actually we already are seeing improvements, but uh, the regulator is ensuring that the water companies uh, do more to deliver on their obligations. We will not hesitate to take further action as needed. We now come to the leader of the SNP, Ian Blackburn. Yeah. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I associate myself with the remarks of the Prime Minister and the Leader of the Opposition in supporting our carers? Mr Speaker, week after week, 
I've called on this Prime Minister to resign. I've been met with a wall of noise from the Tory benches. I thought they were trying to shout me down, but all this time... time, Mr Speaker, it turns out that 41% of them have been cheering me on. Because, Mr Speaker, let's be clear, at least the numbers don't lie. 41% of his own MPs have no confidence in him. 66 of MPs across the House don't support him. And 97% of Scottish MPs want the Minister for the Union shown the door. Prime Minister presiding over a divided party in a disunited kingdom. So how does the Prime Minister expect to continue when even unionist leaders in Scotland won't back him? I want to thank the Right Honourable gentleman for his characteristic warm words. And actually, Mr. Speaker, I want, I want to say that the, the biggest and most powerful and effective advocate of the United Kingdom over the last uh, time that I've been in, 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 in has been that man there. Uh, under his, I don't know how long he's going to last uh, here as, as leader of the SNP. Long may, long may he rest in place, Mr. Speaker. He is the erudite that's keeping our kingdom uh, together. I, I thank him for what he's doing. I can say, I can say to the Prime Minister, I can say to the Prime Minister that I'll be standing shoulder to shoulder with our First Minister as we take our country to independence. Mr. Speaker, the Prime Minister is acting like Monty Python's Black Knight, running around declaring it's just a flesh wound, and no amount. No amount of delusion and denial will save the Prime Minister from the truth. This story won't go away until he goes away. For once in his life, he needs to wake up to reality. Prime Minister, it's over. It's done. The Prime Minister has no options left, but Scotland does. Scotland has the choice of an independent future. Just the Prime Minister that we have zero confidence in. It's the broken Westminster system that puts a man like him in power. Can he tell us? Can the Prime Minister tell us how it is democratic that Scotland is stuck with a Prime Minister we don't trust, a Conservative Party we don't support, and Tory governments we haven't voted for since 1955? Mr. Speaker, we had a we had a, a referendum, as I've told the House before, uh, in, in 2014. I think he should respect the mandate of the uh, of the people. And you know, he keeps saying he keeps saying that uh, he, he, he he wants his independence for his country. Our country is independent, uh, Mr. Speaker. Uh, our country is independent. Uh, he, then he tried 48 times to reverse it to the, 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 the opposition. And the only way that independence would ever be reversed is if we had the disaster, Mr Speaker, of a Labour-SNP coalition to take us back into the EU. Mr McVeigh. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Earlier this week, the Prime Minister said, you cannot spend your way out of inflation, you cannot tax your way into growth. 
We will cut the cost of government. Here, here, I completely agree. So when can I suggest a strong start that he scraps the inflated white elephant that is HS2, saving, saving the government tens of billions of pounds from a budget that is spiralling out of control? Prime Minister. Uh, I, I, I thank my right honourable friend. I, 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 in case she missed what, el what else I said, uh, we're cutting taxes, Mr. Speaker, yep. uh, for everybody who pays national insurance uh, contributions by an average of £330, uh, Mr. Speaker, just next month. And as for, as for HS2, actually what it will do is deliver long term growth and prosperity uh, for the whole of the country, uh, uniting and levelling up, deliver more revenues, uh, and, and, give, and put us in a better position uh, to cut taxes in the future. Speaker, today we hear reports that the Prime Minister refused to consult the First Treasury Council on his plans to rip up uh, the protocol. Now, I know this question might be a bit redundant given he might not be around uh, very much longer. Uh, but given the Prime Minister's casual uh, record of casual uh, law breaking, uh, will he give a commitment to the people of Northern Ireland that he will not break international law any time soon? Prime Minister. Uh, Mr. Speaker, I can tell him that uh, uh, the, the reports that he's seen this morning are not uh, correct. And I, what I can also tell him uh, is that the most important commitment that I think everybody in this House uh, has made is to the, uh, the balance and symmetry of the Belfast Good Friday uh, Agreement. Uh, that, is, that is our, our highest uh, legal international priority, and that is what we must deliver. Dr James Davis. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The North Wales mainline railway has seen little investment for over a century. In practice, this means that jobs at Manchester Airport are poorly accessible to many of my constituents with a two-hour commute, whereas a similar journey in the south-east of the country would be just 45 minutes. So will my right honourable friend ensure that the North Wales line features within the updated rail network enhancements pipeline at the decision to develop stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, I, I, I thank my uh, my and listen I, I'm a great enthusiast Mr Speaker for this project. Uh, I, we are looking at it and I can tell him that the uh, network rail has received funding to carry, the, uh, carry out feasibility work uh, on improving North Wales uh, mainline uh, journey times and uh, uh, travellers in North Wales could have no more uh, effective advocate uh, than my honourable friend. Kim yeah. Yeah. Thank you Mr Speaker. Despite the Prime Minister's promises of new hospitals and more doctors and nurses, the Bronte Birth Centre at my local hospital in Batley and Spen is temporarily shut and is at risk of permanent closure due to staff shortages and lack of resources. The reality on the ground is that after 12 years of Conservative mismanagement, the NHS is broken. So can the Prime Minister explain to expectant parents in my constituency why, despite his promises, they are now forced to travel miles to give birth? And why his government voted against an effective long-term workforce plan for the NHS, proposed by his right honourable friend, the member for South West Surrey. Yeah. Yeah. Prime Minister. I thank her very much, and I, I will certainly look into what's the, the, the centre that she mentions in Batley and Spen. What I can tell her, though, uh, what I can tell her is that uh, across the country uh, we are we are looking, we are investing massively in staff, uh, in premises, uh, in technology, in diagnostic centres, uh, and, 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 it's, and I'm afraid for the party opposite to, to carp and to criticise is. 
frankly absurd because they voted against uh, the health and care levy that is putting billions uh, into our NHS. And, and they need to sort out their position. Either they support it or they don't. Hold on. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, would my right honourable friend join me in complimenting Bradford on becoming the City of Culture in 2025? Yeah. Yeah. Could he also praise the team from Durham, who give a fantastic representation of what County Durham had to offer? Bradford must really be extraordinary to have beaten us. Yeah. Yeah. In, in 2025, Durham will also celebrate the bicentennial of the Stockton to Darlington passenger railway, which will of course distract people from Bradford. <laughs> I believe that my right old friend is the best person to lead on delivering levelling up for the North East. Yeah. And to that end, can he encourage progress on the Furry Hill station development, reinvigorate the Leam side line, and help deliver a great county deal for County Durham? Yes, yes. Yeah. I, I thank my, my honourable friend, and he and I. Uh, have campaigned on. I've been, I've been following his campaign on this for, uh, for a, a long time, Mr. Speaker. Uh, I, I'm told that the Department of Transport is currently reviewing the business case for exactly uh, what he uh, has just uh, requested. Uh, we're putting the funding in, uh, Mr. Speaker, uh, unlike anything the party opposite ever could have delivered. Richard Thompson. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. In Monday's confidence vote, the Prime Minister secured the support of just two out of Scotland's 59 MPs. That means out of the massed ranks of his Scottish Conservative colleagues, he got as much support as there are pandas in Edinburgh Zoo. <laughs> the Prime Minister is an intelligent man. He must know that position's untenable. And if he's not going to do the decent thing and resign as the Prime Minister, surely it's past time he wrote a letter of resignation to himself to stand down as the Minister for the Union. Yeah. Prime Minister... I thank you very much, uh, uh, Mr. Speaker. I re- look, I really, I really uh, redirect the honourable gentleman to uh, what I said to uh, the right honourable gentleman, uh, my friend, uh, the leader of the SNP, <laughs> uh, because uh, I, I think the more the more they campaign in the current circumstances for breaking up our United Kingdom with all the strength and all the merits uh, that it has, uh, I think the more damage they do to their own case. Greg Smith. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Supporting adults with a variety of mental health challenges, learning disabilities and conditions such as dementia. Last week, the Prince's Centre in Prince's Risborough in my constituency celebrated 10 years as an independent daycare provider. From my recent visit, it is quite clear what a happy, welcoming and supportive atmosphere has been created for all service users. So will my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, join me in thanking and congratulating the manager, Kim Challoner, her whole team of staff, volunteers and trustees for delivering this first-class service. And as Chequers is but a hop, skip and a jump from Prince's Risborough, will he deliver those congratulations in person? Prime Minister. Uh, well, I, I, I thank my honourable friend, who is amongst his many other distinctions, I think my, my MP. Uh, and uh, I, I, join, I also join him in thanking uh, the entire team at the Princess uh, Centre for everything that they do, and I will certainly keep his kind invitation uh, in mind. Absolutely. Yeah. Mr. Speaker, I'd have more sympathy for the words, get, the, get on with the job, if it actually started in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> Two weeks ago, Two weeks ago, the Prime Minister told the House, to the best of my knowledge, everybody is getting their passport within four to six weeks. 
However, the passport office is currently quoting a 10-week service time, with many of my constituents waiting well over that period. Cancelled summer trips could cost families over one billion pounds. Does the Prime Minister accept that the passport office backlog is placing additional pressure on families already struggling with the cost of living crisis? Actually, Mr. Speaker, what uh, uh, we're doing is uh, uh, 91% are getting their passport within six weeks, I can tell him, uh, Mr. Speaker. Uh, and we are putting hundreds and hundreds more staff into the passport office. Uh, and and the, the strength of demand, by the way, is a sign of the robustness of the economy because everybody uh, is, is frankly wanting to go on holiday, and, and quite right too, Mr. Speaker. But when, he, when it comes to travel chaos, when it comes to travel chaos, have we heard any condemnation yet from the, from the, from the opposition, from the RMT, and their reckless and wanton strike? What about that? As my right honourable friend knows, Rochester and Strood is facing unrealistic housing targets, putting pressure on the council to bring forward a local plan that will close successful working docks and the loss of beloved open spaces such as Deangate Ridge, all in the name of meeting an arbitrary target. Can my right honourable friend assure my constituents who are facing this level of overdevelopment that there will be greater flexibility on housing numbers so that the council can produce a local plan that delivers the appropriate housing but protects important sites like these? I thank my honourable friend, and she speaks, I know, for colleagues up and down the country. We want to make sure that councils are able to build in the right place and sensitively to. Uh, to local needs, and, and that is what uh, we insist on. Uh, but I just want to make it one thing absolutely clear. Part of the, the merit, the genius of levelling up, Mr Speaker, is that it will encourage us uh, to take some of the pressure, yeah. some of the heat, out of uh, the south-east of England, which has been overburdened uh, for decades, and we can do it. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. My constituent Mark is trying to sponsor two sisters from Ukraine to come to the UK. These two sisters were housed in dangerous temporary accommodation in Montenegro for several weeks, while the UK Home Office refused to process the application of the younger sister because she's 13 and travelling without her parents, even though she had her 18-year-old sister with her. The 18-year-old sister is now in London, and the 13-year-old sister has been sent back to her hometown in Ukraine, which is under siege. Can I ask the Prime Minister, can he tell me, hand on heart, does he think sending vulnerable children back to a war zone is the right policy? Well, Mr Speaker, of course I uh, I understand uh, uh, her indignation about the case that she uh, that she mentions, and, uh, and I know that my right from the Home Secretary will be uh, will be looking into it. But I have to say, I do think the record of this country uh, in processing so far, I think, well over 100,000, uh, 120,000 uh, visas uh, for Ukrainians, is is very creditable. I thank all the staff uh, who've been involved in that effort. Friend will remember that in March I asked him about increased research funding for aortic dissection as called for by the Aortic Dissection Charitable Trust. 
Will the Prime Minister update me on the progress with this? Will he also recognise the immense value of the patient awareness videos that have been produced by TADCT featuring Whispering Bob Harris, survivors, relatives of patients to help those going through this awful condition for the first time? Prime Minister. Uh, well, I thank my honourable friend for her fantastic work on this, and I know uh, the personal circumstances that uh, that uh, give her understanding of this uh, of this campaign. I can I can tell her that uh, the National Institute for Health research is uh, looking at what more we can do uh, to support research on aortic uh, dissection. I know that uh, she's meeting my right honourable friend, uh, the Health Secretary, shortly. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Ukrainian Freedom Orchestra and the Kyiv Symphony Orchestra are due to visit the UK this summer to perform at the BBC Proms, the Edinburgh Festival and other venues. But while other European countries are waiving their visas, to get to the UK, the musicians are facing both visa delays and prohibitive visa costs of 18,000 and 10,000 respectively. We should be doing all we can to support these Ukrainian musicians. So will the Prime Minister match our European neighbours and enable these Ukrainian artists to tour to the UK this year by expediting their visa applications and waiving the visa fees? She, I think she needs to bring the particular case to, uh, to my right honourable friend. But I can tell, I can, t- I can tell, I can tell the House what they know, and I know that many honourable members, by the way, are showing a lead uh, by having uh, Ukrainians to stay in their own homes. I thank all honourable members for doing it. Thanks to the scheme that the UK government has put in place, I think we should be very proud of what we're doing. Bien. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister knows from his visits to Redcliffe in Cleveland that we enjoy miles of beautiful, uninterrupted coastline. However, since October last year, we've seen thousands of dead and dying crustaceans wash ashore. DEFRA conducted an investigation into this, which led to the theory of algal bloom being the primary cause for these deaths. However, this report does nothing to support the fishermen left devastated by this freak event through no fault of their own. Will the Prime Minister look at how he can support this vital industry to get them back on their feet? Minister. Uh, I know my my honourable friend and I were walking together on the the seafront in Redcar when uh, when, when eating eating a lemon top, actually, Mr Speaker, uh, when somebody raised this very point uh, with us. and, uh, And I can tell him... Uh, that we've ruled out uh, chemical pollution, uh, Mr. Speaker, but we are we are looking at uh, we are making another 100 million pounds of investment, uh, including uh, in communities such as his, and working with uh, the fishing industry to help them uh, recover from this problem. Final question, Kenny McCaskill. The poorest in this country currently pay the highest fuel costs through prepayment meters that have higher standing charges and higher tariffs. Belgium ensures a social tariff for the poorest and most vulnerable as the perverse and pernicious euphemism of self-disconnection enters the lexicon, when in fact it's a politically imposed choice, not something chosen by individuals. Is it not time that we provided a social tariff and ended the injustice of prepayment meters? Prime Minister. Uh, I I thank him, um, Mr Speaker, and I can can tell him that what we're uh, doing in the uh, immediate uh, what we're doing right right now uh, is helping uh, eight million families, eight million households across the country with £1,200 of support, uh, uh, £300 uh, for pensioners who are in receipt of the cold weather payment, 
plus uh, £400, Mr Speaker, uh, for every household in the country. Uh, and, and that is the support that we're giving right now uh, to help people with the cost of, of energy. And uh, the only reason we can do it, as I've, as I've said uh, before to the House, is because of the strength of the economy uh, and because of the, 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 the brave, tough calls that we got right during the pandemic. Right, that we don't... I think the honourable member's been here long enough to know it comes after statements. We don't need to tell him the rules of the House. Right.